And if he didn't, we would certainly be lost. It's good to see you all this morning. And uh, I trust old man Winter's on his way out and spring, really, real spring is on his way in. I think we'll see some of that maybe this week. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. We're going to finish John 8 this morning. And we've been in John 8 for quite some time. And the thing that we have seen the most in this passage is Jesus' unrelenting proclamation of the truth and of that truth residing in His Word. And we will see it again this morning. Start with verse 46, if you will. Jesus says, Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason that you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for this wonderful time of worship where we have the privilege of coming together as your people, as the church of the living God, to worship you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit that resides in us. We pray this morning, O Lord, that you would bless this time of worship in your Word as we bring to light the things that are written here. Father, I pray that you would once again speak to our hearts, Teach us from your word and draw us ever closer to you. 
as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Having spoken of Satan's emptiness of truth and the fact that he only speaks lies, Jesus now compares the character of his own words to those of Satan's children. He asked rhetorically, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? This, this is a rhetorical question. He's trying to get them to see their thinking is off. Because these Jews are the children of their father, the father of lies, they not only are unable to receive the truth, but they are also unwilling to receive it. And this was true of them then, and it's still true of the devil's children today. The unbelieving of earth are unable to comprehend and evaluate the state of death that they're in. They don't know that they're dead in their sins. They have no idea that Satan is their father. And that they are a part of his kingdom of darkness. For he portrays himself as, a, as light. And therefore shields the darkness that exists from them. Unless the Lord supernaturally opens the hearts of people. Like he did with Lydia in Acts chapter 16. They will never see. They will never hear. They will never believe God's word. This is a work of God. And it is wrapped up in the gospel itself. Instead, Satan substitutes through his children. And I, when I say his children, I mean his children who teach error, who teach falsely. He, he says or substitutes through his children funny stories. Entertaining meetings to tingle the senses. This is the norm among much of evangelicalism today. Everything under the sun is being taught and done except the gospel. It's no surprise that Paul told Timothy this would be the case. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy 4. We have all kinds of things going on in the church today. Church, the church in general, in general. Now when I say that, I'm not talking about Catholicism or the cults. I'm talking about evangelical churches Notice what he says. For the time, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I would submit to you that that day has come. We're in it. 
People don't want to hear sound teaching. They don't want to hear doctrinal teaching. They want to hear funny stories. They want to be entertained. The time has come when false teachers are teaching goats in the pews. These people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. What does that mean? Itching ears. You ever had an itch in your ear? And you you just you just do whatever you've got to do to make it quit because it's just so uncomfortable. Well, this is exactly what he's talking about. It's a desire to listen to something specific. It is conceived of as having an itch in the ear. And one desires to scratch that itch. And so what do they do? Follow on. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is, what it's, this is what's happening. And it's happening today on a scale that is so much larger than anything that we have seen in the past. You would be... Amazed at what is being spouted forth from pulpits in evangelical churches. Sex talk. Cursing in the pulpit. Softness on issues of rank sin like homosexuality and transgenderism and social justice and health and wealth prosperity teaching. And as a result, verse 4 says, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Look, the myths, the myths are what I just named. It's, it's the teaching, it's the teaching like that's going on all over. Like that God doesn't know what's going to happen next. He just has to roll with, the, with whatever comes. That's a myth. Or that God doesn't really, really hate the sins of homosexuality or transgenderism. or He doesn't really hate those things. He, he will tolerate them. That's a myth. Or that God doesn't want you to be sick. He doesn't want anybody to be sick. He doesn't want anybody to be poor. These and other kinds of modern day myths are saturating our society. People in churches everywhere believe these kinds of falsehoods and myths. When the truth, when the truth is right before their eyes. See, these these Jews had the truth standing right in front of them. They had the gospel right in front of them. And they refused to listen to it. Why don't they believe it? Because it finds his word finds no place in them. They can't bear it. It's just that simple. 
Even though it convicts people to the very depth of their being, they cannot bear to hear the Word of God because it goes against their passions and their desires. I've had people say it to me. You mean if I become a Christian, I've got to quit drinking and go into, go into these wild parties and, and uh, I've got to quit shacking up with my girlfriend or... Yes! In this dialogue, Jesus challenges his opponents with two more rhetorical questions. Notice what they are. He says, which of you convicts me of sin? Now this really speaks to the theological teaching called the impeccability of Christ. And that means that Jesus' life was a sinless life and that his character was impeccable and that he could not sin because of his divine humanity. Jesus was a man just like we're a person, just like we're all people. But he was also God. And so he could not sin. It was an impossibility. Even though he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15 says, Peter himself said in 1 Peter 1.19 that Jesus was the faultless Flawless Lamb of God. He knew no sin, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Peter says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. No one could convict Jesus of sin. His enemies certainly believed he had sinned and had done wrong. But none of them could prove that he had been unfaithful to the Father or that he had been hypocritical in any way or that any other act of disobedience was part of his life. They could not prove it. In fact, in the end, they had to get false witnesses to come forward to accuse him falsely to satisfy the Jews' bloodlust. This sinless life of his, the sinlessness of his life and person was evidence that his message was a message of truth. So Jesus asked the second question. He says, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Why do you not believe me? If he has not sinned, then he must be telling the truth. They had no grounds not to believe him. He had done so many signs. He had worked so many wonders. He had healed so many people. And yet they refused to believe that he was who he said he was. But they came back. They did not come back with an answer. They, there, is an, there is a strange silence among the the Jews at this point, because nobody can convict him of anything. Nobody can say, I can prove that he did this wrong or that wrong. So why didn't they believe him? Well, after the, after the 
no doubt, uncomfortable silence, Jesus answers the, gives an answer to his own question. And this is what he says. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is essentially the same answer that he gave back in verse 43 when he said, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're not of God. You see, it all centers around the word of God. What do you do with the word of God? Do you believe what it says? Does it have impact in your life? Does it regulate your life? Does it show you when you've gone wrong? And do you run back to it or do you run away from it? Those who are born of God take Jesus' words as coming from God because He came from God. That person hears the words of God because he belongs to God and he has an ear to hear them. God has given him an ear to hear them. Hearing is construed as believing and submitting to God's word through the grace that God has given to his children. So when, you, when, you, when it says you, you don't hear the word of God, he's simply saying you don't believe. So what do the Jews do? They continue to heap one blasphemous insult upon another. And notice what they said. I can't even imagine this being said to the sinless Son of God. But here it is. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You see, to the Jews... To be called a Samaritan was the worst possible thing that you could be called. It was, it was right up there with being a Gentile. Because the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. And so now they're calling Jesus a Samaritan. And this question is, is asked... To bring about a positive answer. Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? The hatred and the bitterness between the Jews and the Samaritans was great. Not only did they accuse Jesus of being born illegitimately, but now they accused him of having a Gentile father and being demon possessed at that. Which, by the way, was a charge of insanity. It's like, it's like saying a person has had a nervous breakdown, they have to be put in an insane asylum. This is what they're saying to him. So in essence, they were alleging that he was an insane Gentile false teacher who was doing the work of Satan. That's what they're saying. To the Jew, this was the greatest of insults. There could be, it was a blasphemy beyond what we can imagine. 
You know, I hate movies that personify God as some kind of human. I don't watch them. I've never watched them. I see the advertisements for them where somebody is supposed to be God and he can do all sorts of things and that is a blasphemy in and of itself. But to attribute to attribute God to Satan, that's about the lowest that a person can go. There is no greater blasphemy that can be said than to attribute the work and words of God to Satan. This is exactly what Satan wants. He's always wanted to take credit for what God does. He delights in doing this. The war that started in the heavens originally among the angelic realm was brought to the earth when Satan tempted Adam to sin and disobey God. And even that, even that temptation was an attempt to take glory for himself. This is not the only time that they accused Jesus of having a demon. We see it again in chapter 10, verse 20. And in Matthew 12, 24, it says this, But when the Pharisees heard what he had said, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Which makes absolutely no sense at all. Because if Satan casts out Satan, then he falls. Look, Satan is a glory grabber. That's what he is. He's a glory grabber. He wants glory for himself and he will do anything within his limited power to secure it. And though men of God have fought the fight against Satan and his hordes, it was the Lord Jesus who finally won the victory and defeated Satan. In fact, that's why he came to earth. Several reasons why Jesus came to earth. He came to save sinners. But John, 1 John 3, 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And this is what the demons cried in Mark chapter 1, verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The Bible says in Colossians 2.15 that he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. How did he do that? By his, through his cross, through his death on the cross. Hebrews 2.14 says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. It was his death that triumphed and destroyed Satan. Christ would have the ultimate victory, but it was not yet His time for that to take place. So instead of retaliation, 
against these Jews, Jesus responded again with truth. Look, this is the best way when people try to tie you up with questions and arguments. This is the best way to respond. Just respond with another truth. And just keep giving truth, truth after truth. This is what we see Jesus do through this whole chapter. He does not argue. He does not debate. He simply gives the truth. Notice what he said, verses 49 to 50. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. The living Christ, who drove the demons from the maniacs and sent them from the paralyzed and afflicted, could not have a demon residing in him. The demons themselves didn't want anything to do with Jesus. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? They were afraid of him. They knew that he would be the one that would ultimately send them to the pit. So Jesus calmly asserts his relationship with his father and the life-giving power that lies in that relationship with him. Now, the honor that Jesus shows his father proved that he was not demon-possessed. Because the demons will not give any honor to God. Jesus is giving honor to the Heavenly Father. However, the Jews are showing that they have no honor of God because they dishonor God's Son. So, how do we understand this? Because... Those of us who live in the Western Hemisphere have a, a really different understanding of honor than those who live in the, in the Far East, or in the Middle East even. To them, honor was everything. A son could easily dishonor the whole family and cause them to have, be seen in ill repute. The Greek... Oriental culture of the Middle East puts great emphasis on honor. By heaping insults on Jesus, they were indirectly insulting his father. The God that they said earlier was their father. The way Jesus honors his father was to seek glory for the father and not for himself. Let me ask you a question. As you, as you watch and listen to uh, the radio or, or you see preachers on television, how many of them are seeking honor for Christ or seeking honor for themselves? I would say you'd be hard-pressed to find very many TV preachers or televangelists as they're called that seek honor only for God. We're inundated with this kind of thinking. 
The Jews were seeking their own glory. This is the earmark of their selfish lives. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Notice Matthew chapter 6. Verse 2. Jesus is preaching and he says this. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. They have their reward. Look down at verse 5. When you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Look, they have their reward. There's no reward for them laid up anywhere in the future. They have it right there. That's all they get. Look at verse 16. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. They, they have their reward. And Jesus wraps this up in verse 20, in chapter 23 of verse, verses, verse 5, when he says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. I would submit to you that there are scores and hundreds, even thousands of false teachers all around us in evangelicalism that are teaching to be seen by others or to get something from them. God demands that people give Him glory. And those who refuse to do so will be judged by Him. Jesus pursued only the glory that comes from God. God's approval is everything. And Jesus perfectly had that approval. Remember when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration? The voice came. What did it say? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The reason that, that this approval is everything... Is because God is the judge. He will judge based upon his approval or disapproval. It's one or the other, and there is no other category. And there's no way that you can have the approval of God without having and listening to God's Son. He who has the Son has everything. If you don't have the Son, you have nothing. No matter what people did with Christ's message and mission, He would not be deterred or dissuaded, for He came to honor God and not Himself. The, clear, the teaching is for us is clear. And it's a very important lesson. If we go about our lives seeking honor, seeking to honor God, we don't have to worry about what people say or what people think about us. As long as we're following His Word and obeying Scripture, we will be smiled upon from heaven. Nothing else matters. 
You say, well, I, I like people to like me. Who doesn't? Join, take a number. Join the crowd. Everybody wants to be liked. But look, when it comes to whether, to whether the Scripture is right or people are right, you have to stand on the Scripture. And if they hate you because of it, well, I'm sorry, but it just comes with the territory. Because that's what following Christ does. It separates you out from the rest of the world who does not want to hear the Word of God, who cannot hear the Word of God because they can't bear it. It has no place in them because they're not of God. And we are. So he says to them in verse 51, Truly, truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Don't you love that statement? Now, of course, he's speaking of spiritual death that separates one from God. Because that's what death is. Death is separation. When a person dies physically, their, their soul is separated from their body. And the body lies lifeless and goes back to the dust. The soul goes on. It's separated. So... Spiritual death is the separation of a person's soul from God. So he's speaking of spiritual death. And he's been speaking of spiritual realities all along. He's simply saying that if, instead of dishonoring me, if anyone keeps my word, they will never be separated from me in judgment. That's what he's really saying. Of course, the Jews misunderstood it as they have all of his sayings because they cannot hear what he's saying in truth. Their minds and their hearts are deceived by the darkness of their father, Satan. He has blinded them so that they cannot or will not see the gospel right in front of them. These people cannot say, however, I never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. They can't say that. Like the millions of America who, when they stand before God in judgment, will not be able to say, but I, I, never, I never had an opportunity to hear it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they did. Again, the outcome of the gospel at work in one's heart is shown by keeping His Word. And keeping the Word of Christ means you listen to it. You accept it by faith. You have confidence in its promises. You obey what it says. And you keep it close to your heart. That's what it means to keep His words. This is what it means to believe. And if one keeps the word and believes what Jesus said and obeys what he said, they will never see spiritual death, which we call the second death in the lake of fire. But another opportunity is missed and insults and mocking questions are made in verses 52 through 58. 
It is an insane delusion that is the result of renouncing the Word of God. When people renounce the Word of God and and walk away from it and say it's foolishness, it's only fables, it's just children's stories, there is a sense of insanity that, that comes to the mind in delusion. They have refused God's Word by refusing God's Son. It's no surprise that they would mock his comment of everlasting life. After all, Abraham and all the great prophets had died. They're all dead. How can he make such claims that no one would die who keeps his word? It's because he, he knows and glorifies the Father. That's how he can make the claim. The same one in heaven that they called their father, but falsely. Finally, we come to verse 56. And one last proclamation, he claims his eternality in verse 56. Notice, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 13 says that Abraham saw the things that Jesus did, but he saw them through the eyes of faith in a distance. At a distance, he saw them. But Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. So there was no possibility that Jesus could have seen Abraham with that span of time between them. But he didn't say that he had seen Abraham. He said Abraham had seen him. And rejoiced. Now we might say, of course, in his pre-incarnate person, he had visited Abraham. You remember he visited Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. He visited Abraham in his tent when he was very old and reaffirmed the covenant through a son that Sarah would have when she was near 100 years old. That's Genesis 15. But then Jesus brings this whole dialogue to an end. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. That infuriated the Jews. He spoke the unspeakable name of God. Yahweh. The I am that I am. When Moses stood before the burning bush. It was the name the Jews would not utter. And he utters it in relation to himself. It is a full It is a claim to full deity. He's saying, I am the God of heaven. And he took that sacred name of the eternal God. I am. Homer Kent writes, by using the timeless I am rather than I was, 
Jesus conveyed not only the idea of existence prior to Abraham, but timeless, the very nature of God Himself. This was more than the Jews could take. They knew the Scriptures, that anyone who blasphemed the name of God was worthy of death. Leviticus 24, verse 16, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall certainly be put to death. All the congregations shall stone him. And so, they pick up stones. Now, when it says they pick up stones, it's not little rocks like are laying around the outside of our church. That was not the stones used for stoning. The stones used for stoning were large rocks. Like Large bricks. And they pick up stones. And they're going to stone him for blaspheming the name of God. Because he was claiming to be God. It wasn't blasphemy because he was God. However, it was not his time to die. And he came... He came and gave his life a ransom for many, and that time had already been set by the Father in the decree from eternity past. And it would come to pass exactly at the time that God had planned it would. He could not allow himself to be taken, and he had to fulfill the will of God, so he supernaturally hid himself. Actually, the verb hid, when it says he hid himself, the word hid is passive in the passive voice, which means that he was hidden, the, the hiding was done from outside of him. I would submit it's the Father that hid him. Because he always did that which the Father told him. And he always said what the Father had told him to say. So he escaped the murderous rage of the Jews. We come, to the end of, we come to the end of chapter 8 and we find that the Jews are no closer to the kingdom than they were when this started. Oh, they had religion, but they didn't have God. What a tragic exchange this has been. It is reminiscent of the exchange that takes place in the hearts and minds of those who hear the gospel and then think up all kinds of excuses not to believe what God has said. It's the same thing today. Listen, it's a tragedy when someone renounces the word of God or refuses to believe it or blasphemes God by saying evil and ugly things about him. Remember, there were only two possible responses to the Word of God. There are only two. One is to humbly accept what the Lord says and submit to it in repentance and faith, confessing Him as Lord and Savior. Or, to respond like these Jews with rejection and opposition to Christ with a hardened heart of resistance. And then the real tragedy is to face an eternity without any hope. An eternity of punishment and terror in hell. What's God's answer to all this? 
I'll give you his answer. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This is what he says. This is what God encourages people to do. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you may live. That's God's answer. Choose life. Life is in Christ. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found in your religion. It's not found in, the, in a church. It's not found in a baptism. It's not found in a communion. It's in Christ. And Him only. So run to Christ. Follow Him. Believe His words and you will never see the second death. You will never see punishment. You will only see forgiveness and blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Lord's Day. Thank You that we've been able to come together and to worship You. We pray that our worship has been in spirit and in truth. For You are the only one worthy to be worshipped. We love You. Lord, for giving Your Son to die in our place so that we might live. And we love Your Word. We cling to it. We desire to obey it. We want to walk in it. We want to hold it close to us. This is not the way the world feels. But I pray that You would Draw people to Yourself through the Gospel so that they would love the Word too. And they would not have to see death in a lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name.